0: Happy Labor Day, bold Americans. As we sit here and reflect this first Monday of September, we realize that this country has been celebrating Labor Day all the way since the late 19th century. This happened because labor activists wanted a federal holiday in order to recognize the many achievements that they have made in order to help strengthen America and our prosperity and our well-being. But as we sit here in 2023, I'm wondering... Are we allowing our labored days to be too numbered, our labored hours to be too many? And do we need a day during the week to celebrate our many prosperities, our many strengths to have a better labor day? And in addition to that, should we be funding the workers with extra tips at every single store that we go to, or have we gotten out of control? And should we demand that businesses better pay their employees? or else we don't shop there. All that, plus we're going to talk about Fauci finally got on CNN and talked about the efficacy of masks. It only took two years for the news media to ask a hard-hitting question. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. America.
1: Emboldened. Great, I feel emboldened.
0: Welcome Bold Americans to another episode of America Emboldened. I'm your host, Greg Bolden, here on the America Out Loud Network. As we begin this new week and the first month of September, it means that many summers are now concluded as students are heading back to school. So I just want to wish all the parents that have students out there and any students that listen to the show Have a great new school year. Now don't be sour about it because I will be back in the classroom as well with you with my students starting just tomorrow. And so that's a reminder to my listeners that there will not be an episode on Tuesdays and Thursdays on the network, but you will be able to find me on Twitter at real Greg Bolden for some additional content, but I'm only doing the full podcast shows Monday, Wednesday, and Friday during this school year. Now, at the start of the show, I told everybody it's Labor Day. You already know that you're off. Hopefully, you're enjoying the day. Now, that's a perfect time to wonder, you know, why do we get a day off for the fruits of our labor? Where did this all come from? Well, it came from either this uh, gentleman named Peter McGuire. Now, some records that go back in 1882 state that he started Labor Day, or it came from Matthew McGuire. Now the last name is spelled differently between the two. So we'll get into that in just a few moments. So before labor day became a federal holiday, labor day was only recognized by labor activists and some individual States. However, during, uh, some municipal ordinances that went in 1885 and 1886, they had a movement to secure state legislation to make sure that it was a holiday that all States started to recognize in New York. They say it was the first to introduce the bill, but it was Oregon that was the first to pass a law recognizing Labor Day on February 21st, 1887. Now, during 1887, four more states got word of this, Colorado, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and New York, and they passed their own laws that created Labor Day a holiday, and by the end of that decade, by 1890, Uh, We had Connecticut, Nebraska, and Pennsylvania. And then by 1894, 23 more states adopted the holiday. And then it took until June 28, 1894, for Congress to pass an act making the first Monday in September each year a legal holiday. Now, that kind of gets on my nerves a little bit because where is it in Congress' authority to make any day a legal holiday? We can get to that conversation another day. But for now, I'm glad that we all have the day off, but I don't think it goes far enough. Now, who was it? Was it Peter McGuire, who was the general secretary for the Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners, and he was the co-founder of the American Federation of Labor? Because he had suggested to set aside a day for a general holiday for the laboring classes. He wanted to honor those who were from rude nature, have delved and carved all the grandeur we behold. And then Peter McGuire's place in Labor Day history went challenged because many believe that it was actually the machinist, Matthew McGuire, not Peter McGuire, who founded the holiday. And so there's a lot of uh, research that supports that it was actually Matthew McGuire, the secretary of Local 344, and he was the International Association of Machinists in Patterson, New Jersey's uh, head person. They proposed a holiday in 1882, a few years before, while serving as secretary of the Central Labor Union in New York. So, according to the New Jersey Historical Society, it was President Cleveland who signed the law creating a national Labor Day. And uh, the souvenir pen, they believe, should go to Alderman Matthew McGuire of this city, who is the undisputed author of Labor Day as a holiday. All right. I don't care who it was that was the actual father or the brainchild behind Labor Day. The, the fact of the matter is we need a new Labor Day in the United States. Why do we need a new uh, Labor Day? Because we have a 40-hour work week which has become in many ways an 80 hour work week for so many american families they're working multiple jobs or they get under the uh impression of once you're a salaried employee you become non-exempt so there's no such thing as overtime and your employer can just be like well you got to work that job until the job's done so continue to do that job and we're not paying you a penny more and that's where non-exempt people just get absolutely screwed in the rear by the jobs now where did the 40 hour work week become from We got to go back to that same time that we celebrate Labor Day. And by the 1880s, people would say that there was a slogan, eight hours for work, eight hours for rest, eight hours for what we will. Now, where did that come from? Well, it came from people like Henry Ford, where he eventually was like, you know what? We're going to shorten the work week to the assembly line employees down to 40 hours a week. Because people were putting in 12-hour days, six days a week. And then those eight and eight you know, they go through, that the math just wasn't adding up. And so people were working too hard. Well, you know what? There are some jobs in the United States that take very, very long hours. Our agricultural industry has people that are up long before the rest of the United States in order to make sure that the food gets to your tables. And that's a very good thing. And there are people in, in manufacturing jobs all around the country that are clocking in on a a uh, really uniform schedule to make sure that the goods that get to your Home Depot, the goods that get to you via electronics and cars all come off the assembly line in a timely manner. And so I can understand that 40-hour work week. But it was Ford moving us to that shorter work week that really kind of solidified everybody into this feeling that if you're not working 40 hours a week, then you're not working. You don't work hard. You've probably had that before. And if you're not putting in 50, the 60, the 70 hours a week, you're not a really hard worker. And there's people that are prideful about the amount of hours they put in. But bold Americans, you and I both know that we were made for so much more than labor. We were made for so much more than to provide a service for another human being at all times, which is why I believe The 40 hour work week is antiquated. We need to liquidate that and move to a, at least 32 hour work week, or we need to move to a spot where we say, whatever that industry, whatever that job is, can we get it done in the least amount of time and pay the most amount of money where it can maximize the profits for both the company, as well as justly give a compensation to the workers. Because we should be giving people back some time at this point, right? What else do we need to have human ingenuity in? We've built some of the best buildings in the world, right? We have places all over this entire earth that are marvels of humanity. You go to the uh, Middle East, right? And we have the skyscraper that is absolutely ludicrously tall, right? You might think that it's going up into the stratosphere. It's not that big, but you get the point. We have accomplished so much as individuals. We have conquered the medicine of the world. And I think we've gone too far with that. We have given industry a way that everybody has a way to be able to build uh, homes out of wood and we have enough steel that's been refined to do these things and we have it now set up where it's not going to collapse barring some type of absolute crisis. And we saw during COVID that there was a lot more possible that people did not need to be in their building five days a week for 10, 12, 13 hours a day in order for that business to continue to turn a profit. In fact, in our banking industry, They've made billions since COVID with all of their workers at home. They could take a loss on these buildings that weren't being used, but the employees were the ones paying for the electricity at their home. They were paying for the internet that was going to dial up in order to enable them to do their jobs, their cell phones they were paying for. And if the businesses were thinking well, then they could create cost cuts across the board. And they did. The banking industry made out extremely well. Now, there were other industries that were hurt by all of this. You get to some of the small businesses that did not have that ability to work from home. You get the mainstream, main street type of shops that people stopped going into because they were afraid of viruses and they all closed down. That was a horrible reality of the pandemic. But when we look at the work week, and take out the virus from all of that. We have places that are now still making a mint. Think about the restaurants. At first, everybody was like, how are the restaurants going to survive? That wasn't the question you should have been asking yourself. The question we all should have been asking ourselves is, how are the waiters and waitresses going to survive? Because the restaurants made out extremely well. While those that decided that they could do takeout, those that decided they were going to do delivery. You know, if you look at my bio, I talk about this restaurant in Wilmington, Delaware called Mrs. Robino's. Now, Mrs. Robino's, I worked at, back during college from about 1997 until 2001 that was my summer job i was a waiter there eventually i uh, did a little bartending with waiting the tables at the same time but i i kind of made through the different tasks and i would get a tip for my work now why would i get a tip because i was only making at back then like a dollar 55 or something for waiting on the tables i think that is up to like $2.35 or $2 and 39 cents, somewhere around there for the industry of restaurant waiters and waitresses. But I bring this up. I bring this up because they are the people that got hurt. They no longer had people coming into the restaurant, eating and tipping them for their services. The restaurants, however, They were still making their money. They still had their food able to be cooked. They had line cooks that were doing it. And places like Mrs. Robino's made out extremely well because what they did was they got these vans and they started delivering all over the state of Delaware on different days. You could order through their website, call them up, And they would tell you, "We're doing a drop-off in this neighborhood, and it was great. You'd see 50 cars pull up, and they'd have this white van with Mrs. Robino's on the side, and everybody'd get their fresh raviolis and spaghetti and spitzada and all these other meals, and just deliver it straight to your trunk. And then they'd take it out and drive home. And what was great was the raviolis and spaghetti and stuff. It was not fully cooked. It was still refrigerated, and they'd give you instructions. You know, boil your water just like you're in the restaurant, and finish preparing your meal." It was delicious. And so restaurants like that, they made out extremely well because they were able to lower their cost and at the same time, continue to serve meals in a great way. So those that adapt survive. And I think that's where we are as we celebrate this labor day, we need to look at the adaptation of society. I'm sick and tired of going into every single store and everywhere I go, I'm asked to tip somebody for service. My favorite part lately is going to a place like, I don't know, um, Subway and at the end of the Subway experience, which I love my Subway waitress. She's awesome. She did an awesome job. She's very personable. So don't take this the wrong way. If you're listening to the show, she may be listening when you turn the screen around or when you tap and before it goes, would you like to add a tip? I don't understand on an independently owned store that's paying employees why I need to supplement you even further with a tip. Now, I don't know if Subway's paying her well. I don't know if she's making minimum wage or paying, getting paid more. But you know what? Just charge me more for the damn sandwich. Charge me more for the damn sandwich and pay your employees properly. I, as a customer, should not be the reason why that employee gets to go home and feel like they earned an honest wage for the day. The people that own these businesses are the ones that need to do so. I'm tired. I'm tired of going to food trucks where the food's already $20 for the meal, where I feel like, you know, I'm supporting this local business. I'm supporting this local food truck. And they turn the screen around and go, I just need to answer all those questions. And the first question is, would you like to add 15%, 20%, 25% or other? And I'm thinking, where's the none section? And then you click other and I could hit none. Some of them have none on the screen. Or I'm tired of going into places where I could get like a loaf of bread before, right? And like a local bakery. And that was always just a place I could go in, grab something really quick. And at the end, they turn the screen around and go, would you like to give a tip? Where did this come from that everybody deserves a tip? And what the hell did you do for me in order to earn that tip in that moment? There are certain industries where I don't believe tipping should be a thing on every single corner. You know, the wages in this country are down across the board because of inflation. The businesses are charging more and more, and now there is this want to ask everybody for an additional tip. If you are in, restaurant business and you're being served by a waiter by all means tip them 25% tip them more than 25% if you feel they did a good job because that is how they are supporting themselves and that is how they're supporting their families if you're in any other industry all right. I'm even going to say this to, to to my barber, Pat, if you're listening, I love you, Pat. You're a great guy. Charge me whatever I need to pay for a haircut. Don't expect me the tip on top of that. I mean, he normally says to me, he's like, all right, that's $25, Greg. And I'm normally quickly, I go make it 35, right? Just, I'm trying to tell him if he were to charge me $35 for my haircut and beard shape up, I'd be just as happy as if he's charged me 25. And then I got to sign a thing for a tip and put me on the spot. I think we need to get rid of the tip expectation in this country. So bold Americans, I'm asking you to click the button no. Click no on the button on additional tips for things that are not service industry related. If it's a service industry, by all means, continue the tip. This might be like the most controversial thing that I say uh, that's going to divide people. But I understand workers are underpaid, but us shoppers, we shouldn't make up the difference right now. That should be on the owners of the businesses. So unite with me and stop tipping for non-service industries. Can we do that? And there's one other thing I'm going to talk about on the opposite side of the break that relates to Labor Day and not tipping, but rounding up. But we'll talk about that on the other side. I'm also going to talk about Dr. Anthony Fauci and his words on CNN with Michael Smirkanish. And I think you're going to be pretty shocked to hear that audio. All right, everybody, we're going to take a break right here. Make sure you're going over to buymeacoffee.com backslash Bold America, where you can tip uh, me for the service that I provide for. Yes, I'm a service industry. I draw no paycheck from this. I am supported by listeners like you. So go right over there and feel free to donate as much or as little as you can. I just appreciate you supporting the show. And in the meantime, the lights on the network need to be kept on. So, if you go to AmericaOutLoud.store, you can check out all the sponsors and purchase some great products to help bring all of my colleagues' work—people like Dr. Peter McCullough, Attorney Tom Renz, Malcolm OutLoud, Peter Engel, Dr. Paul Alexander the nurses out loud, all of that entire crew, and so many more directly to you through the 24 seven talk radio network. We need your support through those businesses. So that way we can continue to bring great programming through the streams of the internet and as well as anywhere you get your podcast. That's it. That's all. I'll be right back in just a few moments. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to America emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America out loud network.
1: changing the world one person at a time. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity.
0: I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of
1: going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work.
0: Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at
2: EnergeticHealthInstitute.org. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness.
0: Bold Americans, welcome back. Second half of the show here. We're talking about Labor Day. Why? Because I'm thinking it's time for some labor reform. And I just got done telling you, I'm tired of non-service industries asking us for tips, but it doesn't go far enough because there's something else that's really annoying me this Labor Day. It's the fact that every store I go into now is also asking me to round up. Would you like to round up the support this cause, that cause, this cause of the week? Now, at CVS, they got me by the heartstrings because they said, would you like to round up in order to help the victim of the Maui wildfires and of course you know I'm going to click yes and so I did I'm at CVS I click yes I round up and I know that there's a psychology behind that but I'm thinking to myself I would rather give the money directly to one of those Venmo accounts, one of those GoFundMe accounts, than every single time I go to shop someplace, I'm donating $0.80 here, $0.30 there, $0.20 there. Before you know it, I guarantee we're donating at least $100 per year just every time we go out to purchase, if not more. And here's why that sucks for the average consumer. Because once they get you used to, and I've talked about this on my show before with the M&Ms, kind of the slacktivism approach, but here's the real problem with all this. When you go to places like CVS, when you go to Walgreens or whatever your local pharmacy is and convenience place, where you might get those little odds and end of supplies, and they say, would you like to round up? They're making the donation off the money that you gave them. But guess who gets the tax benefits? That's right. When you go to file those taxes, Uncle Sam says, thank you to this corporation for being such a great corporation in the United States. Look at all the money they've given to this great cause. That's wrong, see ladies and gentlemen, what we need to do is give the money ourselves. It's very important that you make donations directly because you can also write that off your charitable contributions on your taxes. Now that's not to say that you shouldn't just give, you shouldn't be thinking about your taxes, but let's be honest. There are many people in this country that have small businesses. They need tax write-offs. They need ways in order to not get hurt by the oppressive tax code at times, that's coming down on top of their businesses. But they're getting us used to asking for money every which direction. I'm waiting for the next time, I'm standing outside in my uh, state of Delaware pumping my gas, that it's going to ask, would you like me to offer a tip for the gas that I just pumped myself. Are you going to give me that tip money? Because I just did that service. Or if I'm in New Jersey where they pump your gas for you, all of a sudden I'm gonna sit there, would you like to offer a tip for how well I filled up your car? No, you jackass, you've been filling up my car like this for the last 20 years. I simply pull up, I tell you regular fill up, you fill it up and I say end of transaction and I leave. There's no additional money needed in that. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, take control yourself, right? They divide us. And when I say they, I mean, there are people out there right now that divide this country from coming together. I really believe that the majority of us, we feel the same way on a ton of issues, but we get divided as conservatives or liberals or libertarians or constitutionalist or being called whatever the next name might be down the line in order to make sure that we, the people cannot come together and demand better. So can we at least come together on this singular issue of The rent's too damn high type of concept, right? What was that guy that, uh, the vermit guy, Supreme Leader vermit that used to wear the, the black boot in New York when he ran for office? He's like, the rent's too damn high. That's right. The groceries are too damn high. CVS is too damn high. My gas is too damn high. Can we finally say enough is enough? And just say the cost is the cost. I'll pay it. Get the tip thing off my screen. Get the roundup off my screen. If there's a cause that you want to donate to, you know what corporation, take it out of your own damn pocket, go support that thing and do some good. Because I can tell you, there are places right now across this great country that are doing shirts for schools. They're doing shirts for schools and they mark these things up beyond belief and the schools make their money based upon these uh, shirt sales, but there's somebody making a profit at the end of the day behind all of this. And I can also tell you that if you look at the parent company behind all of that, it's one of the biggest companies in the world. And they are not giving a penny of the schools out of their profits. Nope, they're allowing the school to do all that. Start demanding more of your corporation. Start demanding a bigger salary. Start demanding that if you're in a service industry that you're valued. Start demanding that you get the pay that you deserve. And if you don't, don't be afraid not to work a job. See, the reason we need a Labor Day type of uh, rethinking here is because Henry Ford locked us into a 40-hour workday. We should not need to go to school five days a week. We should have more time with our families. You should be able to hang out with your children and be the ones that raise your kids rather than a school system that raises your kids. Because let's be honest, when you drop a kid off somewhere at seven o'clock in the morning, you don't see them again until five o'clock at night. And they've been with school teachers and aftercare programs in between that. Where do you think they're learning most of their values throughout the day? Now you might think that you're one hell of a parent and you can teach all of those values during that time, but you're sorely mistaken. The values are being taught in the schools. The values are in the classrooms of the teachers that you have because they are spending more uh, non-directive time with teachers than they are with their own parents. That is the reality of the situation. I'm a parent. If you disagree with that statement, then I'd like to hear from you because I guarantee if you look at the research, you look at what I'm telling you, you are directing your kid for almost all the time that you're around them rather than spending quality time. You're giving kind of the orders at the house. I need you to clean your room. What have you done today? What have you ate today? Why don't you fix something for your brother? Have you taken out the trash? Have you done this? Think about the amount of times you talk to your child and really have a conversation about how their day went, what's on their hearts, what's on their minds. See, I believe that if we worked less, we'd have more time for those family connections, more times for that family unit that's so very important to great positive life outcomes. So let's start a movement starting today. The two things that we're going to demand. First is we are no longer going to say it's okay to to give a tip for non-service industries. Will you join me in that? Second, we're going to demand that we get rid of the 40 hour work week stigma that goes along with almost every single job, making people feel like they're less of a person if they're not putting in 40-hour work weeks, and instead start asking employers to allow people to work the amount of time necessary so that they're making the company money and contributing to that job in a just way, and then they don't have to work maybe all five days. Maybe they can get their job done in four days. Maybe that job can get done in 20 hours, but maybe doing that job in 20 hours as well as they're doing it is worth... Double what they're getting paid right now. I mean, let's be honest. When you look at like the banking industry, right? There's people in the banking industry making six-figure jobs um, and six-figure jobs that are rolling over into the second six-digit side. Where, meanwhile, we got educators and teachers that are making somewhere around thirty-two thousand to sixty-two thousand dollars, and they don't have that same ability to be like, "Hey, I'd like a raise now because that's locked in." But they're able to get so much done with your sons and daughters and schools just like you're able to get so much done that you have time to have conversations around the water cooler, so to speak. And so I think that we are really needing to have a reform here in our hearts and our minds in order to move things forward into the future. Now, I am really told you, I, I told you that I wanted to get into this other part of the conversation. There was something that happened on CNN over the weekend that I was floored by. Michael Smirkanish had Anthony Fauci on television. Now, I thought that Anthony Fauci had basically been put into a uh, wrapping uh, packing paper. Uh, he was wrapped in bubble wrap and you weren't going to be able to get to him, but no, Michael Smirconish on CNN, who used to have the uh, really popular radio show as well. Uh, he comes out and he has Fauci there and he wanted to talk to him about COVID and the resurgence and wanted to know whether or not mask work. Now, the amazing part about this, I haven't heard any of the mainstream news for two years, three years, talk about the efficacy of masks in a way that pushes back. And Fauci starts talking about how, you know, masking and stuff that measures would really help uh, prevent the breakout of infection for individuals and help protect them. And Smirconish pushes back with the Cochrane report. Now, it was likely that this was already pre-planned because we're already set up. But Fauci's answer is completely weak. So I want to play that for you right now. Here is Smirkanish talking talk about the Cochrane Report, and you're going to hear what Anthony Fauci says is the reason that the Cochrane Report has it wrong. And then we're going to talk about that.
2: Here it is. There is a perception out there by many, how many I don't know, that they don't work and that the data concludes that they didn't work in the first go-round. Respond to that on masks.
1: Yeah, well, that's not so. I mean, when you're talking about at the population level, that the data are less strong than knowing that if you look on a situation as an individual protecting themselves or protecting them from spreading it, there's no doubt that masks work. Different studies give different percentages of advantage of wearing it, but there's no doubt that the weight of the studies, and there have been many studies, indicate the benefit of wearing masks. All right, so this is where Smirkanish is going to push back
0: and quote the Cochrane Report. Now, if you remember, I did a show about the Cochrane Report a very long time ago. The Cochrane Report used uh, 12 really comprehensive studies that said that masks did not work co- for COVID-19 during the pandemic, that they were basically absolutely useless. But I'd never heard the news ask one of these health officials about this study until this weekend. <laughs> so here's Fauci responding. Here we go.
2: I'm gonna refer to one of them. You've heard about it before. I heard about it from a number of radio callers. Uh, Brett Stevens in the Times talked about Cochrane. Put that on the screen. The most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illness, including COVID-19, was published last month. Its conclusions, said Tom Jefferson, the Oxford epidemiologist who is the lead author, were unambiguous. There is just no evidence that they, masks, make any difference.
1: Yeah, but there are other studies, Michael, that show at an individual level, for individual, when you're talking about the effect on the epidemic or the pandemic as a whole, the data are less strong. But when you talk about as an individual basis of someone protecting themselves or protecting themselves from spreading it to others, there's no doubt that there are many studies that show that there is an advantage. When you took at the broad population level, like the Cochrane study, the data are less firm with regard to the effect on the overall pandemic. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about an individual's effect on their own safety. That's a bit different than the broad population. Oh, well, that's different. That's different, is it? See, which, <laughs> what Fauci's doing
0: here is he's cherry picking. He's cherry picking what he wants to believe and what he doesn't want to believe. What he's not acknowledging is the Cochrane Review, was done in almost a foolproof way. It was done by cluster randomized controlled trials. They're considered the best way to get any type of evidence that you want because they just randomly assign people into that intervention or control group. And by randomly assigning these groups to different interventions along the way based upon the mass and everything, it allows for a fair comparison about what that intervention actually did. And so having 11 new randomized control trials, 78 trials total that stated that masks did nothing to stop the pandemic, right? Fauci wants to move the goalpost. Fauci wants you to go, well, don't worry about whether or not it would stop the pandemic. What I want you to think about is whether or not your individual risk could be lowered. Yes. By wearing a mask, Maybe that could lower by 10% to 30%, depending on which study you look at. But the overwhelming evidence that came out of the Cochrane Review, the fact-checked science-based claim behind all this was there was not a clear reduction in respiratory viral infection with the use of medical or surgical masks in the pooled responses, in fact, in cloth masks. It basically didn't even matter if you were wearing anything. N95 mask. They had low to moderate certainty that it really did not do uh, anything. I'm sorry, not low the moderate certainty. It had low the moderate protection against anything. They were certain of that. That N95 was probably the best thing you could put on. But even then. The pandemic still would have gotten people sick, and you still had a very high risk of collecting COVID. Why? Because I've been trying to say this the entire time. And unfortunately, you had people that were going, well, you're not a scientist. You shouldn't get a say on this. You're right. I'm not a scientist, but you know what I am? I'm a very educated individual that reads more than likely you do. I read a ton of these papers. Now I know what the next part is, but you were, you measured in television and film. Yeah, that's right. That was 2001. I've also had a life since 2001 where I've read tons of medical journal documents, but you have no right to read those type of things because you don't have a degree to understand the medical journals. Oh, okay, so now you're really insulting my intelligence because you also don't realize that I actually went for a master's of science as well, where I studied the DSM in transition when it was the DSMTR. Uh, Did I have the ability to read these damn things? Make a long story short, I was well-educated in the microcrons of COVID, understanding that this thing was a thousand times smaller than a human hair. And when you put on an N95 mask, it slips right by. It doesn't matter when it's aerosolized the way you were going to get sick with it. But I see a light at the end of the tunnel. I see a light at the end of the tunnel because I see people coming out now and they know there's going to be pushback if they throw out this mandate bullcrap in the future. The mandates will no longer work. The hoax is up. People like Anthony Fauci coming back, trying to say, you know, well, this is for the individual, you know. No, it's not. In this randomized study, at best, a mask was 18% reduction in risk. 18%, which means eight times out of 10, you're still going to get sick wearing that free surgical mask that they passed out. All right. And that was what they used in order to skew numbers later on They're trying to get mandates to go through. You had people like Anthony Fauci who just was like, well, I got to protect the public and make you feel good about being safe. So I'm going to tell you these things work, but he can't tell you that now, but I can tell you that's exactly what he knows. People have known masks do not work in this function for this type of endemic the way that we try to have them, and no one's falling for it anymore. In fact, when I see people with a mask on at this point, I no longer feel the way that I used to feel. I used to be a lot more patient. But if I see you by yourself in a car driving with a mask on, I think that you're an idiot. I'm not even going to make up any other words. You're a moron if you're wearing a mask and you're by yourself in a car if i see you outside getting some fresh air and you got a mask on and you're walking nowhere near anybody else yeah probably there's a judgment at this point point. and if you tell me that i need to put a mask on at any point in time from here on out and do not allow me to make that decision for myself i probably will not put a mask on you know the only time i'm putting a mask on is if i'm in a hospital and there's people that you know it's like well because of uh, this, we're going to try to make sure that we don't have droplets of Ebola coming out and stuff like that. Yes, you're right. I'm going to put on a hazmat suit. I'm putting a mask on. I'm doing whatever I got to do. in order to make sure. And I think if there was somebody with like cystic fibrosis and I could lower that risk by 18%, people that are really that sick, yeah, I probably would do it for that too. But when it comes to my everyday life, nope, not masking up again, not going to happen. Which brings me to my last point, Donald Trump. Donald Trump now is trying to act tough, like he didn't (laughs) buy straight into the entire lockdowns and mandates and everything else. Now he's like, well, the American people, we're never going to do it again. We'll never mandates again. You know what, Donald? You're the problem for this stuff. You gave in the Fauci and all these people trying to rewrite all this stuff now being like, well, Donald didn't know he was just doing, it. he didn't have. Nope. He was the president. He likes to say that he made all these type of things. Then this rests solely on his shoulders as well. Just like that debt, just like the inflation and everything else. People got to hold his feet to the fire here and stop giving him a free pass simply because whatever their ideology is, he does not get a free pass from me whatsoever. He was just as bad as Anthony Fauci. And of course he's like, well, I just passed it to the great government. Governors of this country that did a wonderful job. Yet you did not lead the way in telling people that that was the wrong thing. He got a lot right at the very beginning. He locked us down from China and other places to try to make sure that people had uh, the ability to stay safe from it coming into our country. Of course, people said that was xenophobic. But when it get down to the nitty gritty, he failed us miserably. He failed America when it came to your personal freedoms and liberty. Not again. Not again. I'm going to trust my natural health system. I'm going to trust my natural immunity system that I actually have a uh, a machine inside my body right now that when I get sick, it starts fighting back. That My red blood cells, my white blood cells, when that storm comes, that I have the ability to fight infections because my immune system is real all right everybody i'll be back on wednesday with another episode we'll see what's going on in the world i also line up some great guests for you i have somebody who's running for senate coming on to the show here uh within the next uh, few weeks getting that lined up and so much more as always if you want to reach out to me you can find me on twitter at real greg bolden or x whatever the cool kids are calling it nowadays you can also email me greg at AmericaEmboldened.com, and send me your thoughts on whatever happy to cover if you have an idea for a show a guest for the show i'd love the Hear from you. And make sure you're also on X if you want to so- find some of the video content that I'm doing. That's a great place to find it as well on Tuesdays and Thursdays, as well as you'll get the dual recap show, both video as well as on America Out Loud on Fridays, which is always a good time with Chris Michaels. That's it. That's all. Hope I honor your time well. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. Be bold, America.